1 Kings 18, verses 16 through 24. Let's read. Obadiah went to meet Ahab and report to him. Then Ahab went to meet Elijah. And when Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, Is that you, you destroyer of Israel? He replied, I have not destroyed Israel, but you and your father's house have, because you have abandoned Yahweh's commandments and followed the Baals. Now summon all Israel to meet me at Mount Carmel, along with the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab summoned all the Israelites and gathered the prophets at Mount Carmel. Then Elijah approached all the people and said, How long will you hesitate between two opinions? If Yahweh is the Mighty One, follow Him. But if Baal, follow Him. But the people did not answer him a word. Then Elijah said to the people, I am the only remaining prophet of Yahweh, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Let two bulls be given to us. They are to choose one bull for themselves, cut it in pieces, and place it on the wood, but not light the fire. I will prepare the other bull and place it on the wood, but not light the fire. Then you will call on the name of your mighty one, And I will call on the name of Yahweh. And the mighty one who answers with fire, he is the mighty one. All the people answered, that sounds good. (laughs) May Yahweh bless his word to our hearts today. So we begin the match between two mighty ones, Yahweh versus Baal. Elijah says to Ahab in verse 19, I want you to gather all Israel, summon all Israel to come to me, and I want you to make sure all of the heathen false prophets come there as well. All Israel, when he says summon all Israel, it probably refers to all the family or the tribal leaders within Israel, all of them. And Elijah wants all of them to come to the match, including the prophets of Baal and the prophets of Asherah. Now, in Canaanite theology, Asherah was a fertility goddess and was the mother of Baal. But Baal was considered the chief deity of the Canaanites. Baal was the mighty one of rain and thunderstorms. We know how important rain is. We've seen it in our study through 1 Kings 16 and 17 and now 18. Remember Yahweh had caused the drought for three years and six months. Rain is very important. Well, Baal was the chief deity of Canaan, and he was the mighty one of rain and thunderstorms. But Baal had not brought rain for these worshipers of him. He'd not brought it. Even though King Ahab served Baal, worshipped Baal, built Baal a temple, and even set up an Asherah pole for Baal's mother in honor of her. Ahab served Baal with all of his might, according to 1 Kings 16. There was no king like him before that had done all of the evil in Yahweh's sight as Ahab. But Baal still didn't send any rain for Ahab. So Elijah calls for the match to take place on Mount Carmel. And the apostate Israelites and the prophets of Baal, they go there to gather to see what exactly Elijah wants to do. Elijah approaches all of the people. He's by himself. He's serving Yahweh by himself. And I'm sure it was a sight to behold. And Elijah says in verse 21, How long will you hesitate between two opinions? If Yahweh is the mighty one, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. And then we read that the people did not answer him a word. They were silent when he made that statement. These Israelites on Mount Carmel that day were entrenched 
in their worship of Baal. Because usually, as goes the king, as goes the people. Time and time again, when you read the Old Covenant Scriptures, the Israelites of old, the majority of them, ran away from Yahweh and chose to follow other mighty ones, symbolically played the harlot on Yahweh, whom they were supposed to be married to, and went and wed other mighty ones, worshiping in the ways of heathen nations. Yahweh always had a remnant, but it was because He preserved those people. He left a remnant. The remnant would have never been there if Yahweh would not have left the remnant. We're going to see that in 1 Kings 19. Now here they are hesitating, or more liberally, more literally, how long will you hobble between two opinions? It's like you go over here for Baal, then you jump over here for Yahweh for a little while, and you jump over here for Baal. Elijah asked them, how long are you going to do this? That's what the Hebrew literally means. Hobble between the two opinions. You can't follow both Yahweh and Baal. You cannot follow Baal and then come over here and give Yahweh some due, a little bit of due, thinking that Yahweh is just one of many mighty ones that you serve. No, that's not optional. You can't do that. The chief commandment in Israel, in the Hebrew faith, is Deuteronomy 6 verse 4. It says, listen, hear, listen up, obey, literally, obey, listen. Not just listen, it's like when I say something to my children and they can hear me audibly, but are they really listening to what I'm saying? See, that's what Yahweh says when He says, Shema, listen to me intently to obey. I'm your mighty one all by myself. Yahweh Eloheinu, Yahweh Echad, Yahweh alone. Love me with all your heart, soul, and strength. So, there's not to be any other mighty ones that Yahweh is competing with. He is species unique. He's all by Himself. He is the Most High Creator of the heavens and the earth and the seas and everything in them. So Yahweh is not to be on the back burner of the stove with a little bit of heat on minimum, while Baal sits on the front burner with the maximum of heat. That's not how it works. Well, in verse 22, Elijah says, I am the only remaining prophet of Yahweh. Yet. We learned earlier in this chapter, if you followed along with me, that righteous Obadiah, the man that was in charge of King Ahab's palace, he had hid and protected 100 prophets of Yahweh in caves and fed them with food and water when Jezebel sent out the decree to slaughter the prophets. Obadiah hid 100 prophets in caves. So why does Elijah say that he is the only prophet of Yahweh left? And the answer to that question is... Elijah is the only active prophet of Yahweh remaining. He's the only one that is doing his duty, ministering in his office. There may have been other prophets in Israel, but they were in caves. They were in hiding. The rest of them had been slaughtered. The rest of the prophets had been slaughtered by the apostate Israelites under Jezebel's command, which is Ahab's uh, Sidonian wife. Elijah was the sole man of Yahweh that remained, and he was going up against 450 prophets of Baal. He says this. He says in verse 22, but the prophets of Baal are 450 men. I'm the only remaining prophet of Yahweh, and it's verses 450 prophets of Baal. Now, here is where we have to constantly remind ourselves of something. And that is because our human mind always jumps out in the lead when we're faced with opposition. We always think in the natural. It's human nature to think in the natural. It's human nature to fear those that can kill the body. It's human nature to think that Yahweh's not in control even when He is. 450 to 1 does not seem like a fair fight. It doesn't. 
If there's one of me and 450 on the opposing team, it would appear that I've already lost before the match begins. I've titled the sermon, The Odds Are 450 to 1. It's not very good odds in the natural, in the human sense. But Elijah was not thinking in the fleshly. Elijah was thinking in the mind of the Spirit. So 450 to 1 did not mean anything to Elijah. And this is why. Because he had Yahweh on his side. And if Yahweh is on our side, then who could be against us? He had Yahweh on his side. The prophets of Baal didn't. There could have been 4,500 of them, and it wouldn't have mattered because Elijah had Yahweh on his side. You read about the battles that the Israelites fought in the Old Covenant, and sometimes they would go up against this rinky-dink army, this army that was not powerful. But there was sin in the camp, and Yahweh would cause them to lose the battle against the rinky-dink army when they should have won in the natural but Yahweh would make it where they wouldn't win. That's because Yahweh was the one that fought or did not fight Israel's battles. Now, the prophets of Baal could, could not see Yahweh. Nobody there that day could see Yahweh as though he was standing beside Elijah, but Yahweh was there. He was there with Elijah. And because Elijah operated in the power of Yahweh, the 450 prophets of Baal were the ones that had lost the match before it began. There was not a chance that they were going to win the match on Mount Carmel. Proverbs 3 verse 5 says, To trust in Yahweh with all your heart and do not lean unto your own understanding. That would probably be a good verse for all of us to cite at least once a day. Yahweh, help me to trust in you and not lean to my own understanding. Our own understanding will get us in trouble because the thing is, here's the thing, our own understanding makes human sense. It makes sense to us. Our own understanding does. It makes sense that 450 would beat one. That makes good human sense. That's not far-fetched. What is far-fetched to our human understanding is that one would beat 450. That doesn't make sense, not to our human understanding. And Yahweh's methods often make no human sense. It makes no human sense that a shepherd boy would be the one that defeated the giant from Gath. It makes no human sense that walking around some walls of a city named Jericho would win a battle. It makes no human sense that a 90-year-old woman named Sarah would conceive the child of promise and she had a 100-year-old husband named Abraham. That doesn't make any human sense. That's why they laughed. It makes no human sense to look at a bronze snake on a pole to get healed of snake bites. That doesn't make human sense. It makes no human sense to give your last bit of oil and flour to someone other than your family. That doesn't make human sense. It makes no human sense to believe that your Savior is a crucified Savior. None of that makes human sense, but it all makes Yahweh sense. It all makes Yahweh sense. Yahweh works in ways that bypass the human mind so that our faith stops standing in the wisdom of man, but in the power of Yahweh. Hallelujah. Yes. Can you imagine what Sarah thought when she got pregnant at 90 years old? She said, Abraham said, I'm shriveled up. And Sarah said, so am I. And she laughed. That's why they named the child Yitzhak, which means laughter. Because Sarah laughed inside of her tent. Read Genesis 17 and 18. 
But what did Yahweh, Brother Danny and I were talking about this this week, what did Yahweh say when He was talking with Sarah after she left? She said, it's not possible. And Yahweh told her, He said, is anything too hard for me? Is anything impossible for me? He told Sarah and Abraham the same thing that Gabriel told the Virgin Mary. Nothing shall be impossible with Yahweh. Mary said, how can this be? I've never been intimate with a man. The Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. It's going to be supernatural. Your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age, for nothing shall be impossible with Yahweh. It doesn't make human sense, but it makes Yahweh sense. So don't try to figure out something that doesn't make human sense if it's written in the Scriptures. If Yahweh says to do it, do it. If Yahweh says look on the bronze snake on the pole, that seems so easy. <laughs> look on the bronze snake on the pole. Moses set it up. Look on the snake and be healed. you know some Israelites didn't look on the snake? Some of them died. Many of them died. Actually, about 21,000 died that day. Numbers chapter 21. I think it's around 21,000. Numbers 21, 1 Corinthians 10 talks about that. You would think they would have all looked. But some of them didn't. Because it didn't make human sense. But it made Yahweh sense. So when the world around you is pulling you to follow your heart, you heard people say, follow your heart. That's the worst thing you could ever do. You follow the heart of Yahweh. Follow Yahweh's heart. Jeremiah seventeen nine says, The heart of you is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Our natural heart is evil. That's why Yahweh has to give us a new one. When the world around us is pulling us to follow our heart or to do what makes human sense, it's difficult to go against the flow and do what Yahweh says to do. That's hard. It's difficult because the natural inclination pushes against what Yahweh says. Yahweh is coming here, He's saying this, and we're saying this, and our human sense, our human mind is saying no, 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 and Yahweh's saying yes, 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 yes. Trust in Yahweh, lean not to your own understanding. Be not wise in your own eyes, fear Yahweh and depart from iniquity. Many times when you have 450 people that go one way, and you're the only one that is going in the opposite way, it's easy to cave in because you're all alone. But Elijah did not cave in. Elijah loved Yahweh with all of his heart. Elijah stood firm on the promises of Yahweh. Elijah served Yahweh. He did not back down. Yahweh had taken care of Elijah through the drought for three and a half years. And he knew that Yahweh was going to take care of him on the mountain that day. I will tell you this. I will promise you this. You will never go wrong by doing what Yahweh tells you to do. Never. You will never make a mistake by doing what Yahweh tells you to do. As you read His Word, you apply it to your life. Don't try to make everything make human sense to you. Trust in Yahweh with all your heart. Don't rely on your own understanding. I have to tell myself this. Don't try to always figure out how Yahweh works. If Yahweh reveals something to us, that's wonderful. I've been riding down the road before and had something be a mystery to me for 10 years. And Yahweh revealed it to me riding down the road in my work clothes with my boots on, untied. And Yahweh reveals it to me. And I'm like, whoa, that's just amazing. But you know what? Deuteronomy 29, 29 says, the secret things belong to Yahweh our Elohim. But those things that are revealed belong to us and to our children so that we may learn and do the words of this law. There's some things that belong to Yahweh. They make no human sense, but you trust in Yahweh. You'll never go wrong 
doing what He says to do. If Yahweh reveals something to us, it's great, but He doesn't have to. He doesn't have to. He's under no obligation to me. I cannot make Yahweh sign my contract. He works way up here, and I work way down here. But His ways are the best ways, and really that's the end of the discussion, really. Yahweh's ways are the best ways. Like I talked about last week, serving Yahweh is the best life you could ever have. Proverbs chapter 3, go read that. What Yahweh desires for us to do is to step out on faith and to trust Him at His Word when we don't understand how it's going to happen. That's what Yahweh desires for us to do. It takes faith to step out on nothing and believe that something is there. And that something that is there is Father Yahweh. It looks like you're stepping out on nothing, but in the end, what you hope for, what you cannot see, will be there in substance and in evidence. Trust in Yahweh with all your heart. I know it doesn't make sense, Yahweh, but I'm going to step out on faith because your word has told me to do this. So Yahweh, I promise you, Yahweh will work on your behalf if you simply trust Him for what He has said. If you humbly do what He has told you to do, what did Yeshua teach us in the parable in the Gospel of Luke? When you've done everything that you're supposed to do, what do you say? I'm just a servant. I have only done my duty. That's what we're supposed to say. It doesn't matter how many people are against you. It doesn't matter if all the demons of darkness are against you. It does not matter if you're the only remaining prophet. It does not matter if the world calls you foolish. Paul said that preaching the Messiah crucified was a stumbling block to the Judahites and foolishness to the Greeks. But to us who are being saved, the Messiah is both the power of Yahweh and the wisdom of Yahweh. And that's because Yahweh's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom. And Yahweh's weakness is stronger than human strength. That's Bible, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Now, getting back to our account of Yahweh versus Baal, let's look at verses 23 through 24. Elijah announces the instructions for the contest. Let's read this again. Let two bulls be given to us. They are to choose one bull for themselves, cut it in pieces, and place it on the wood, but not light the fire. I will prepare the other bull and place it on the wood, but not light the fire. Then you will call on the name of your mighty one, and I will call on the name of Yahweh. The mighty one who answers with fire, he is the mighty one. All the people answered, that sounds good. That sounds like a good idea, Elijah. The 450 prophets of Baal and the one prophet of Yahweh would perform, please get this, they would perform the same procedure. They would select a bull, they would cut it in pieces, they would place it on some wood, but they would not light a fire. The difference would be that the 450 would call on the name of Baal, but Elijah would call on the name of Yahweh. That's the only difference that Elijah mentions here in his instructions. Calling on the name of Baal meant actually speaking the name of Baal. We see this in verse 26, where the prophets of Baal literally said, Baal, answer us. That's how they called on the name of Baal. They spoke the name Baal. Likewise, calling on the name of Yahweh meant actually speaking the name of Yahweh. We see this in verse 36, 
where Elijah spoke the name Yahweh three times in his humble prayer to his mighty one. Brothers and sisters, Yahweh's name is extremely important. There is power in the name of Yahweh. Every time we speak the name of Yahweh, it attaches us to the one who created the heavens, the earth, the seas, and everything in them. It attaches us to the mighty one of the prophet Eliyah, whose very name means Yahweh is my mighty one. This contest was not a contest of the Lord versus Baal. But that's what most English translations will say. Most English translations will read at verse 21 as, If the Lord is God, follow Him. But if Baal is God, follow Him. And that's not accurate. That's not right. Notice first that the English term God, which is better translated as Mighty One, is a generic term that applies to both the Mighty One of Elijah and the Mighty One of the 450 prophets. Those 450 prophets served a mighty one. So to just say mighty one carried no unique quality with it. Didn't mean anything. Could be any mighty one. But the same goes for how most English Bibles render the mighty one of Elijah as the Lord, where it says, if the Lord is God, follow Him. That's incorrect. Because there, if you'll notice in your English Bible, most English Bibles will have Lord in all capital letters. And that signifies, when you see Lord in all capital letters, or God in all capital letters or the name Jehovah in the King James Version seven times, when you see those, it signifies that in the Hebrew Bible, in the Hebrew Scriptures, it reads in Hebrew, yod heh Yahweh. That's what it reads. Not Lord, not Master, not Adonai, not Elohim. The English word Lord carries the meaning of ruler, master, owner, or boss. But those are all generic names, or we might say titles. The 450 prophets of Baal had a ruler or a master. His name was Baal. They had a boss. They had an owner. They had a lord. When they wanted to call upon him, they spoke his name because speaking his name attached them to that mighty one. When the 450 prophets danced all around, they called on their mighty one, but they did not chant, Master, Master, Mighty One, Mighty One. They called on the name of their mighty one, Baal. That was the name that he was distinguished by. Just like the name Asherah. Asherah is mentioned here in 1 Kings 18, also in 1 Kings 16. Asherah was the mother of Baal in Canaanite theology. Asherah was her proper name by which she was distinguished from even the other Canaanite mighty ones. In order to attach yourself to that goddess, that fertility deity, you would call on her name. That's how it would attach you to her. Well, when Elijah called upon his mighty one, he didn't just cry out, Mighty one, mighty one, master, master, Elohim, Adonai, Elohim, Adonai. He spoke the name Yahweh. You call upon the name of your mighty one, I'll call upon the name Yahweh. Three times in his prayer, he spoke the name Yahweh because that's the proper name of His Mighty One, that name attached Him to the correct Mighty One. The reason there is power in the name of Yahweh is because that is the name that the one true Creator holds. Every time we say the word Hallelujah, we're saying praise ye Yah, which is what we call the short poetic form of our Father's name. It's in a lot of the prophets' names like Isaiah, Zechariah, Eliyah, 
And all their names mean Yah, such and such. You know, Yah remembers, Yah is my mighty one, Yah is salvation, things like that. So that name attaches you to the Creator. And we must not lessen the force of His name, and we must not say that it is only the person or the power behind the name that matters. Now, listen to me. His name is more than letters, but it includes, it certainly includes letters. You have to have letters to make up a name that you can speak, that you can call upon. You can't have a name without letters. So His name is both letters which make up His name and the power of the person that stands behind that name that you call on. It's not one or the other. It's both. To get to the power, you must call on the name. Calling upon the name of Yahweh doesn't just mean believing in any Creator or trusting in His promises without His name. No, it includes both according to this text. Catch this now. This text in 1 Kings 18 proves that calling on the name of Yahweh includes actually, literally speaking the name of the Creator. That's what it includes. Now, each of my children carry their own name. And in the Matthew Jansen family, we're all distinguished this way. We're the Jansen family, but we are all distinguished by our own name. So if you're sitting with my family, and if you want to get Morgan's attention, the best way to get her attention is to say, Hey, Morgan, and I guarantee you she'll look. Anybody in here could say it, and as long as she hears you, she'll turn her head. Because as far as I know, she's the only Morgan in here. If you want to get David's attention, you'll say, Hey, David. And he'll look at you. What do you need, Dad? What do you need, Brother Joey? What do you need, Brother Dan? You call on the name of David. It attaches you to the person of David. So forth and so on. There's certainly something more than letters that stand behind the name, but that does not negate the need to call upon the name. Now, Elijah called out to Yahweh that day by name, and guess who answered? Yahweh answered. The Mighty One. He answered. Now, Elijah didn't just say mighty one. There are many mighty ones, 1 Corinthians 8. Had Elijah just said master, there were many masters, 1 Corinthians 8. Elijah specified which mighty one he was calling upon by using the proper name, the yod heh wah of that mighty one. Now, I believe that we should use that name today the best that we know how to do. I know people discuss and debate or say that no one is certain how that name is pronounced. Some people say that. But listen, this is what I always say. When somebody says, no one knows for certain how to pronounce that name, I usually respond with this rebuttal. If that is the case, we do know how it's not pronounced. We know it's not Lord. We know it's not God. And we know it's not Jehovah. So to continue to call on those as though they are His name are cheating ourselves out of the facts because we know that it's not those. So we make an effort to do what? To call upon His name the best that we understand, the best that we know how. If we color outside of the lines a little bit while we make the effort to call on His name, Yahweh knows that we're frail children. He sees that we are making an effort. When David brings to me a coloring that he colors on a piece of paper, and let's say him and Morgan color the same picture, I don't expect David to color as well as Morgan. And if David colors outside the lines, I don't crumble the paper up, throw it away, and say that's terrible. 
I say, yes, you tried to please Daddy. That's wonderful. That's wonderful that you do that. You made an effort to color that for Dad. And he writes, I love you, Daddy, on the top. And I hang it up in my office because he's making the effort to please me. He's eight years old. Morgan's 18. There's a difference there. Yahweh knows we're frail children. If we make the effort, I can prove this to you in the Bible, that even if you don't keep His law exactly to the T, if you make the effort to do it and you pray the Hezekiah prayer, Yahweh will take care of your insufficiencies. Yahweh will help you in the areas that you lack because He sees the effort that you put forth to be obedient to Him. It's the same thing on His name. He sees that you make the effort to call on His name. He sees that you're not disregarding His name, but that you want to call upon His name. That means speak His name just like Elijah, Eliyahu Nabi, spoke His name that day. The Scriptures say in Joel 2.32, Acts 2.21, Romans 10.13, and I also believe it's alluded to in Acts 22 and 16, that everyone who calls on the name of Yahweh will be delivered. Now you may ask, but what about my parents or my grandparents or my great-grandparents that didn't know Yahweh's name? And I would have to ask the same question too. That's not just a question you ask me. That's a question I would ask too. Listen, Yahweh is both just and He is merciful. And I'm not here today to claim to know the mind of Yahweh. And I'm not here today to line people up and infallibly decide who is saved and who is not saved. That's not my job. That's above my pay grade. I'm going to let Yahweh do that. I'm not here to judge people who truly served the Mighty One of Scripture, but did not have knowledge of His name, but would have walked into it had it been presented to them. What I am saying is this. We do have this knowledge right now. And to reject that knowledge is not wise. We must proclaim Yahweh's name in our speech and we must educate others, both non-Christians and Christians, on how important it is to call upon the name of Yahweh. Maybe you'll start using 1 Kings chapter 18 to show how important it is. It would be a great chapter to go to. If somebody says, well, why do you think it's important? Say, well, let's open our Bible to 1 Kings 18 and I'll show you. Elijah called on the name and Yahweh answered. There's power in his name. It was important to Elijah. It should be important to us. And the Bible does say that if we reject knowledge, Yahweh will reject us. So, Elijah gave the instructions for the contest, but next week we're going to see how the contest plays out in verses 25 through 38. That's what we're going to cover next week. And there's so many good nuggets in those verses, I cannot wait to teach about them. So I want you to take some time this week to become familiar with the text. And I promise you that if you read this chapter, you'll get more out of the sermon next week than if you don't read. Let's stand and close in a word of prayer. Our Father in heaven, help us to rely on you. Yahweh Father, help me to rely on you. And all the world around us is going in the opposite direction. And there's 450 people that say one thing and it seems like we're the only one saying the other. Help us to trust your word and realize that you're, you, make, you make the sense. Help us to trust in you with all of our heart. Father Yahweh, I ask that we would call upon your name. We'd continue to call upon it. And Father, in doing so, you would answer in your time, in your way, and in your will. I love you, Father Yahweh. I lift you up today and I call upon your name. I pray these things through your Son. Amen.